and I knew that I wanted to rise above things that were challenges that were against maybe myself, my family, and, and build a life for myself that would, you know, be impactful to the world. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Copperleaf Financial. Held to the fiduciary standard of care, Copperleaf develops a financial plan specifically for you, integrating every aspect of your life. They offer comprehensive wealth planning services, including sustainable investing solutions. To find out more, visit copperleaffinancial.com. Today, we have a show that I think is really important and everybody should be listening to and learning about if they have not already. We are going to be talking about the wealth gap and one woman's approach to closing the income divide. So let's just give you a little context for this conversation before I introduce my guest. In many ways, the wealth gap between the finances of blacks and whites is still as wide in 2020 as it was in 1968. The latest U.S. Census Bureau reveals that Black Americans' wealth is only 9% that of whites. Given the current racial tension in the United States and the fact that African American communities have been hit harder by the epidemic, breaking money silence on this wealth gap, I think, is really important to affect change. That's why I invited Sabrina Tucker Barrett. She is one person who is committed to changing the wealth gap in her community. She is the co-founder and president and CEO of Girls for Technology, Inc., a nationally recognized nonprofit organization focused on leveling the playing field in STEM industries for underprivileged populations. Welcome, Sabrina, to the podcast and for coming today to talk about this ever so important issue. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you for having me. Yes, I've been really upset by reading more and more about the wealth gap and learning more about the experiences of black and brown communities as someone of white privilege. Certainly, I've known a little bit about it, but not enough to really be proactive. So I'm hoping that today you not only will educate me about what you're up to and how we can really support you in taking action, but also my listeners. And so I'm going to start personally. You know, you grew up a woman of color. And so I'm wondering, how did that impact your work and what you thought was possible for you in terms of your career? So I had grown up in Connecticut. And however, my grandmother lived in a small town in Connecticut, which was predominantly white. And my parents wanted me to be able to afford me a better education. So they sent me to Waterford um, school system where I unfortunately did not have many 
role models that necessarily look like me. So uh, my parents were my biggest advocates and, and role models. And so, you know, when I went on to college, I saw, you know, more uh, women of color that looked like me and knew that things were possible. And I would say even my brother who had studied computer science at UCLA, I think being able to see him as the first generation going on to college and knowing that if he could do it, that I could do it also. So it sounds like you had some really powerful role models in your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your brother. Mm -hmm. But what was that experience like of knowing I'm being sent to a school that's not in my neighborhood because it's white? It was quite an experience. You know, I got picked on and, um, kind of taunted and teased. And many a times I would come home crying and very low self-esteem, wondering why God didn't make me, you know, the same color as the students that I went to school with. I think, you know, it was from my parents that really taught me that anything was possible and to have, you know, that tenacity to push forward despite all of the things that were against me. Wow. So that makes me very sad that you had to go through that as a little girl, um, but so happy that you've pushed through and, and you're doing such great work. Now, at what age did you realize that there was this huge wealth gap between white communities and black and brown communities? At a very young age. I mean, it was often talked about in my home. It was always told to me that as a Black young girl growing up, that you're always going to have to work twice as hard to accomplish anything you want in life. So that was taught to me at a very young age that I knew the difference between what the wealth gap was between Black and white households. Also, just kind of growing up, I grew up in apartments and most of my friends and schools had very uh, large homes. Parents were attorneys, doctors, lawyers. And so I knew that there was a difference. How did you rise above that and decide, you know what, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to make a difference for young women like me? Yeah, so I knew I would, you know, my, my mother, you know, I volunteered um, at a very young age at soup kitchens and at my local church. And I just knew with, it was just something within me at a very young age that knew that I wanted to be something different from what I had necessarily seen within my community. And I knew that I wanted to rise above things that were challenges that were against maybe myself, my family, and, and build a life for myself that would, you know, be impactful to the world. Wow. So it's just something that kind of this was part of you. I know I'm yeah. very passionate about the work I do. So I think right. we certainly share that passion. And so when you went into the work world, you went to college, right? And then you went into yeah. the work world. How did you start off? And then how did you ultimately you know, found this wonderful organization. Yeah, so my path has not been a straight path. It's been some ups and downs. I had uh, started off at a junior college. Um, I didn't want to leave far from my parents. My parents uh, were a bit older and I wanted to be close, closer. And so I went to a junior college close to my home. 
and then went on to a four-year university. And it was there that my parents could not afford after, you know, the first year would not be able to continue on with uh, my education. And so I had to kind of reassess my, what I was going to be able to do as far as college. Went to a community college just to take a few classes. Ended up working in corporate at United Healthcare and went back to school to uh, receive a bachelor's in healthcare administration. And that's kind of where my career path started within the insurance field. And that led me, I'd worked there for about six years and then went on to Connecticut, where I worked there for two years. And it was after having twins that I decided that I wanted to kind of take things in my own hand and wanted to create something that I knew that I could have control of and have impact as a a Black woman and woman of color for communities that look just like me. So really becoming a mom was a turning point for you when you had the twins. And often that is a turning point for uh, people to say, I want to make a difference in my life. But you could have chose a lot of different ways to make a difference. I mean, you're pretty resilient you're, it sounds like you're very committed when you put your mind to something like you worked hard to get your education. And so how did you decide to start Girls for Technology? After being in Hartford, from going to University of Hartford and meeting my husband in college and realizing that I was going to be um, in the Hartford region, I saw so many disparities that looked different from kind of where I grew up from, grew up at, and and wanted to, you know, like I said, make a difference. There was a lot of poverty, um, the school systems were broken, and I really had a goal to be, a goal in mind to really be able to change that wealth gap one girl at a time. And so you decided to be really skilled based and really hands on, which is part of what caught my eye in terms of your organization is the fact that you are really teaching them the skills that are going to make them competitive. And so you've certainly, I mean, 800 girls is a lot. Uh, What do you see as different in the young people that participate in your program? Like in addition to the skills they gather, is there anything else that you see shifts and changes over that uh, time period? Yeah, I think something that's really unique about Girls for Technology is that Oftentimes, you you don't see uh, nonprofit leaders who uh, have founded the organization and and lead the organization who are women of color or Black women. And so I find that many young girls that come through the organization see me as a role model to be able to not only one to one day create their own company, but also so to pursue opportunities that they never thought was possible within STEM, really, really focusing on the technology and engineering. I think of one young uh, lady in our program who was kind of headstrong on being, she only thought she, she could be a teacher. She, her mother had sent her to private school and she really just wanted to be a math teacher. She was able to participate after I talked to her many a times. It took some, you know, coaching and, and really her just getting to, for her to be able to understand what the program was all about. We took uh, a group of young ladies to Google in New York. And it was from that experience that she saw other young women aspect, that black and brown, that 
were engineers and computer science majors. And now she is actually her sophomore year at Emory University studying computer science. And I am just so proud of her. And she also has been interning. This is her third year interning at Google. And wow. so it was from that opportunity that, you know, enlightened her that she could be more than just a math teacher. Well, and I, I love that story. I mean, it's just so heartwarming and it's really brings back something that I believe in. And a lot of the people that work in women's empowerment believe is you can't be it unless you see it. See it right. And so there's a way in which you are providing something you didn't have, which is a role model of somebody who has started an organization that's really uplifting other people and you're in charge and then taking them to these opportunities where they get to see a variety of different people looking different, black, brown, white, and yeah. being able to say, wait a second, I can do this as well. And that's, you know, that's incredibly heartwarming to me. Now, I yeah. also know that you've received high praise from other people, not just Kathleen Burns Kingsbury on Breaking Money Silence. <laughs> and your uh, company was recognized by the Obama White House. Tell me a little bit about that. And, and what did they notice about your organization versus somebody else's that they said, we're going to invite her down to the big old White House. <laughs> yes. So it, it was interesting. They um, were looking for organizations across the U.S. that focus specifically on inclusiveness in STEM. And I received an email one day and I thought it was like a fake email. And it said the Obama administration and had the big White House uh, you know, logo on it. And I had to tell my husband, I'm like, uh, is this real? <laughs> and come to find out, we were actually one of only two organizations within the state of Connecticut that were actually invited. So that day, we actually ended up being able to meet some of the greats like Mae Jameson, which was the first uh, African-American astronaut. Many, many profound black and brown individuals within the STEM arena I had an opportunity to meet the CTO uh, for the Obama administration, the chief technology officer, and so many other people. And it was a, a two-day conference, and they really taught us like so many things about ways in which we can engage young Black and brown young people in being more inclusive within school systems and after-school programs. So that was an amazing opportunity. And and that happened, I want to say, in 2016, actually a year after starting Girls for Technology. Wow. What skills do you think that you are teaching the girls in this program? And do you think these skills are things that boys automatically learn, no matter the color of their skin? Or, or is it truly different skills that we need to be teaching these young women of color? Some of the skills are different, but I think also it's very important that just within the black and brown community, uh, uh, you know, building self-confidence is huge and, and letting them know that they are just as capable as anyone else. You know, we really focus heavily on more of an Afrocentric model of teaching them, you know, self-confidence skills, public speaking skills best approaches of how to work in the workplace, along with the technical skills. So, you know, it's that two-prong two approach to be able to provide those opportunities. 
I'm excited about your organization. I love what you're doing. I think we need more people doing it. I also think you probably, as most nonprofits, I've worked in nonprofit before, could use additional support. So if somebody's listening in and says, boy, I'd really like to help Sabrina fund this effort, how can they do that? What are the things that you need and how can they be helpful? We are looking to build our capacity as far as being able to span the organization across the state and the U.S. With COVID-19, we are now able to reach even more young adults and, and girls through our programming in a virtual model. So we're always looking for mentors, and those mentors can come uh, virtually um, to be able to participate uh, within our program, whether they have some type of technical background or want to kind of help out the organization kind of on the back end. You can visit our website at www.girlsfortechnology.org, and we are also on all platforms for social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for breaking money silence today with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode is sponsored by Copperleaf Financial. Held to the fiduciary standard of care, Copperleaf develops a financial plan specifically for you, integrating every aspect of your life. They offer comprehensive wealth planning services, including sustainable investing solutions. To find out more, visit copperleaffinancial.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.